0: This is the I Read Comic Books Podcast. I am your host, Mike Rappin. With me this week are two fantastic human beings, Brian Murray. Hello. And Kate Lamphere. Hi. Thank you both for joining me this week. I'm super duper excited to be back. I feel like I haven't been on this show in weeks or months. It's been so long. This is my show. I I run this thing somehow, but it feels like i have been away for a long time and that's probably because i was at emerald city comic con doing nothing but interviews and hangouts and giving people stickers and pins like we had i gave out so many pins and stickers this weekend i'm almost out at home it was such a good time but we did do a lot of interviews like i said and you're actually going to hear one on this episode and we're going to be releasing a bonus extra interview with two other folks i'll talk about that at the end in the middle in the middle of the show and at the end of the show so look forward to that but We are here to talk about some very specific things, so let me ask the question that I ask every single week when I'm on here, I guess. How have you been?
1: How have comic books been? Let's start with you, Brian. I've been good. Uh, I'm on a contract job right now, so I've been working crazy hours, but I'm still finding time to do some reading. Nice. Uh, This past week, uh, I got a hold of the first three issues of Generation X. Cool. I also read Invincible 103 through 138, continuing my catch-up there. And in the spirit of our Translated Comics episode, I also read uh, Husk Volume 1, My Hero Academia Volume 1, and My Lesbian Experience with Loneliness, which is <gasps> my uh, my spotlight for the week. Yeah, yeah. Tell me what you thought about this book, Brian. <laughs> uh, I really enjoyed this book. You know, I expected that uh, Nagata Kabi was just going to put in like a you know like a cute gay self discovery story and then it turned into like a deep dive on mental health. Mm-hmm. Um which, you know, as a mental health patient, uh I am I'm fond of, you know? Um the thing that really impressed me was how frank and open she is about the issues that she's dealing with. Just because like there's it, it it's so easy for being honest about your mental health issues to negatively impact your life and I think that you know coming out and just discussing it in this kind of autobiographical manner shows you know a a definite kind of courage and that that's on top of the bravery you have to have to you know be a member of the LGBTQ community and speak about that openly like you know we, we we still live in a shitty world where people suck so that can really negatively impact your life. Yeah. The thing I like the most is how this book like jokes around a lot, but it doesn't treat what it's talking about as a joke, if that makes any sense.
0: Absolutely. This book I I think I talked about it a couple of episodes ago, man. This book hit me in the head with just everything that it presented. Like it showed me it showed me like a portrayal of these types of things and feelings that I had never seen on paper before and it really really impressed me. I'm glad you liked it cuz it was such a phenomenal book to me.
1: Yeah, and the fact that uh, Nagata was able to give those, like you know, Nagata was able to inspire those feelings while also making it an entertaining, enjoyable reading experience. Yeah, I uh, thought that was showed just a, hu- a, a huge mastery of the craft.
0: Yeah, I'm very much looking forward to, I guess, volume two in the series. It's got a different name, but there's yeah. more of it coming out.
1: Yeah, it's like uh, my my solo diary or something something like that i don't know yeah if you look it we'll up find on it amazon or something like that you can find it easy
0: i have a feeling brian this is going
1: to be a mini me and you we're going to talk about buying two of this book <laughs> we should yeah, do it just be uh two guys talking about lesbian experiences it'll be it'll be <laughs> awesome
0: <laughs> yeah uh, that's Kate, comics how have you been? folks <laughs> yeah how have you been how have comic books been
2: i've been having some technical difficulties so i'm glad to be here
0: uh, yeah I'm glad you're here, too.
2: I read a whole bunch of stuff in the last couple of weeks for this episode that I'll talk about later, but aside from those things, I read Buffy season 11, Giles number one, which was crazy. I read The Arrival, and then I read The Lost Pro- Property by Andy Poyagi. <laughs> I think his name is pronounced. It's.
0: I believe in you.
2: <laughs> okay. Um, and then I found out after I read it that it actually came from London from a small it seems like everything is creator owned that comes out of there So I'm definitely going to be checking out more by this publisher mm-hmm. I really enjoyed this book Everything, all of the colors were mid-tones A lot of greens, blues, browns The panel work is really unique I don't really know how to describe it other than that Hey, that's okay Very non-standard, I guess There's there's one page that just looks like a keyhole And everything happens inside this keyhole Anyway, it's about this guy that goes to the lost property office in his town looking for something specific, and he finds all of the things he's lost in his life, and along the way, he finds himself, and Aww. it's it's a very good, short, self-contained story.
0: Cool. I, I I feel like I need to see this. This keyhole thing intrigues me enough that I just want to see that page, so maybe I will... I'll do a search on that online for something like that. That sounds cool.
1: What about you, Mike? What would you read?
0: Yeah, well, for me, uh, I read the last issue of Iceman, which is issue number 11. I fucking love this book, and the ending of this book was perfect. That's all I'm going to say about it. Uh, I read Dr. Star and the Kingdom of Lost Tomorrow's number one. Uh, Abbott, number two. Planetary, Volume 1 through 3, which is apparently very easy to read on a plane. That's how I did it, so I recommend that to everyone. Um, But the one book that I'm really excited about that I read um, was, again, Volume 1. This is by Mitsuru Kubo. They are, I don't know if is man or a woman, but they're the creator of, or co-creator of Yuri on Ice, so if you liked Yuri on Ice and you want to read more from someone who worked on that show and was a co-creator, this is the manga for you. This is published by Kodansha Comics. Um, volume 1 came out, I believe it's a 12-volume series, so I was like, alright, let's jump into this, start with Volume 1, and it just came out. Uh, but the story is about <laughs> this outcast, kind of outsider character named uh, Kenichiro, and he... Goes to the final graduation ceremony of his school. Um, he sees this person in this Ondan group, which is like a cheer squad, but they're all about tradition and stuff. So it's not like cheerleaders. They actually compete with the cheerleading squad. And um, he's so like impressed by this woman's song that she sings. He's like, "Well, I'm gonna go. You know, it's my last day of school. I'm gonna go. You know, look at or go to the clubhouse where this group hangs out because apparently they have clubhouses for in-school activities." in Japan at least and so he goes to check it out and he runs into a classmate of his and she gets scared and runs away and he's like no no, no I'm not a weirdo I just was looking at this group and they both fall down the stairs of this building and die <laughs> so when they wake up the next day they are flashbacked three years in their college ex- or their high school experience and now they get to relive high school again and now this guy Kenichiro being an outsider thinks well I spent my three years of high school being a loner, outsider, no one talked to me, I had no friends. Maybe I should fix that. Maybe I should try to make my high school experience less boring. So the story gets really interesting because not only does he go back, but the woman that he, or the girl he ran into, I guess, she also went back. So they both know that they traveled back in time, and the story gets kind of fun and dramatic and the hook seems to be how will kenichiro make his life not boring by doing things he never did in high school the first time and it's kind of funny this dumb high school drama but i mean again if you like yuri on ice and you like the kind of goofy humor that was in there along with the romance there's less romance in this book but there's a little bit of romance this book totally works and i highly recommend it if you're looking for a new like off the beaten path kind of manga that I guess it has a lot of traditional stuff and I don't read enough manga to maybe say this is off the beaten path and ignore that but I enjoyed it a lot because I fucking loved Yuri on Ice and I'll support this creator till I die at this point so Good manga. Kodansha makes some really interesting books. Like, if you're not familiar with them, they also make Attack on Titan. They also make Fairy Tale. They've published a bunch of other stuff. And they're a pretty good competitor in the U.S. against Viz, who publishes all the shonen manga and shonen jump manga that you see. Like, your My Hero Academia, your Naruto, your Boruto, Bleach, you know, all those standard books that we kind of know in the big... Like, that are big manga and anime hits in the United States. Kadancha is, like, their rival in that aspect. And I think they do some really interesting stuff that works really well. So,
1: yeah. My Hero um, Academia, though, Brian. Yeah. <laughs> I'll say, if it's, a, if it's a high school dramedy site with a time travel element, you're basically describing my wheelhouse. So, Yeah. You I'll should take definitely a look at check that. this out.
0: Yeah, and the thing, Kodansha books are a little bit more expensive than Viz books, but the quality is there. I think their chapters are a little bit longer, um, and the art is really, really good in this book.
1: I'll be honest, if I, if I buy it, it'll be digital on my iPhone SE screen, so quality doesn't really matter at that point. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, well, let's move on to comic books that we're excited
0: about this upcoming week. Comic books are coming out on March 14th, 2018, Let's talk about what we're excited about. We'll start with you, Kate.
2: I'm excited about Thrawn number two. I know that Thrawn was a big deal um, in the Star Wars Legacy universe, and I never read anything about him. So I'm excited to see what they're bringing to this character. I'm excited to explore this character for the very first time. Um, This book is written by Jody Houser with art by Luke Ross and colors by Nolan Woodard. Um, Letters by Clayton Cowles. He Thrawn in this issue seems like a very motivated guy, um, so I'm a little mm-hmm. I'm a little f- afraid for his friend that he's made because this guy that that helps him out and kind of brings him in and befriends him is just a, a really sweet guy, and I don't know if he's going to make it out of this arc alive.
0: Oh no! <laughs> I mean, Star Wars does have a habit of just killing good boys, I think. So. But this we'll see, one is right?
1: a—he's a—he's a sweet farm boy from an outer rim planet, so he's got that—that uh, that echo of Skywalker to him. Oh, okay, okay.
0: Um, and this—this this is the Star Wars book, right, the new one that just came out, Star Wars, Star Wars Thrawn number two, right?
2: Yep, yep. I—I I read number one uh, in the last couple of weeks, so I'm looking forward to number two.
0: Very cool. What about you, Brian? What are you excited for?
1: Uh, for me, this week it's all about Vampironica number one. What? i actually had a hard time narrowing down to just one this week but this is the uh the archie comics veronica is a vampire book <laughs> i didn't know that this was coming out <laughs> oh man yeah it's uh written by greg and megan smallwood art by greg smallwood normally i would look at this and see like oh that's weird that'll be that'll be good for a laugh but after you're, like mm-hmm. After how good, like Afterlife with Archie and Jughead the Hunger and the Sabrina book, like those were all so good that this Archie horror line has a lot of uh, a lot of credit with me. Totally. So I'm just I'm excited to see what kind of vampires this is going to be.
0: Yeah, I mean, with the, in the creative team alone, like Greg Smallwood, that's that's unbelievable. That dude's art is phenomenal. So like you're you're getting a good. Creative team to start. I'm really curious to see where that goes.
1: Yeah. I have my fingers crossed for uh, more 30 days of night, but I'm expecting more along the lines of Buffy. Um, Okay. If it's more Twilight, then I'll be very let down. Yeah, I mean, I think that kind of begs
0: an interesting question of how will Veronica survive in the day continuing to be Veronica um, if they don't have some sort of weird element. I know there was... What was the movie where... The characters put sunscreen on to go out during the day. Wasn't that like some
1: shitty vampire movie? Um, you're talking about Blade. Oh, did they do that in Blade? Okay, they not had a, a shitty sh- vampire movie. short-term <laughs> uh, vampire sunscreen in the first Blade, oh, okay. where that guy was obsessed <laughs> with becoming a daywalker.
0: Yes, yes. Oh man, see now I just want to watch Blade. Those movies were fantastic.
1: Yeah, can we wrap this up? And uh, <laughs> so, Mike, uh, what's your pick for this week?
0: Uh, for me this week, I'm super excited for the Wildstorm Michael Cray number six. This is written by Brian Hill with art by N. Stephen Harris and Dexter Vines, who I believe is on Inks. This story, the Michael Cray miniseries, is so cool to me because it's Michael Cray, this awesome character from the Wildstorm, basically hunting down individual members of the Justice League to kill them because in this Wildstorm universe, they don't want anybody with superpowers that they can't control and so apparently these dc characters exist they've killed barry allen they've killed the green arrow and right now michael cray is on the hunt for the fish man known as aquaman and when i say fish man i mean he is a fish person And it's really creepy. Like, all of their incarnations of the Justice League characters that they've dealt with so far have been really creepy. Like, Green Arrow is this maniac dude who literally brings people to an island so that he can hunt them. Uh, Barry Allen is this mad scientist who created this super suit to go fast, but it's slowly killing him. And he's got this alter ego in his head that may be Zod, but we're not really sure. And by Zod, I mean... I want to say timothy zane but i'm totally lost reverse flash in his head and so far so now we've seen michael cray go into this island and he's hunting down aquaman and so i think this is going to be the the i guess massive moment in this book where he fights aquaman and something big gets revealed because it's issue number six kind of the end of an arc i'm really excited because this book is insane, and Michael Cray as a character is super cool. He's just the most badass dude ever who doesn't trust his team, but he kind of likes them and needs them. And he's also trying to figure out some stuff with his character. This book is just, just fantastic. The whole Wildstorm line has been really good. So if you're not reading any of this stuff, I highly recommend it because it all ties in really well. You can read them standalone if you want, but I recommend reading all of them because they're, it's, all, it's a really cool shared universe that they're playing around in. And credit to Brian Hill for working within the playground that Warren Ellis has set up with the Wildstorm book, or Wildstorm series, I guess, so far. But yeah, I guess that's me for this week um before we go to the break i want to say that we have two small interviews that we're going you're going to hear during the break this is one was with michael garland who is the colorist on a ton of jonathan hickman books such as the dying and the dead red wing secret i mean if you've seen a, a jonathan hickman book at this point it's probably colored by michael garland and you've been deeply impressed i can tell you that so we got to talk to him for a second we also talked to Farrell Dalrymple, who is the creator on Pop Gun Wars, as well as the Wrenchies and a bunch of other books. He's got a book coming out that we kind of talked to him about there. So take a listen to those that happened at Emerald City Comic Con, and we'll be back to talk about translated comic books, and that's manga, that's comics, that's everything. And we've got a whole list. Kate read every book in her library that's translated, and we're going to hear all about it. So we'll be back in a second. So, um, I'm here with Michael Garland at Emerald City Comic-Con. Thank you so much for talking with us today, man. It's super awesome that we get to talk to somebody working on one of some of the best comic books out there right now.
3: Yeah, sure. No problem. Happy to do it. Cool, man. Um,
0: so, I guess we've got a couple questions just around like Emerald City Comic-Con. Um, what do you like about this convention? Like, is What makes it different than, say, other conventions like New York City Comic-Con or something like that?
3: Well, this is my first time here, actually. Oh, I've, okay. uh, I've been trying to go for a couple years because it has a very good reputation, but... It's a it's a really creator centric show which I love. It's like this show and Heroes, Kind and Charlotte, are probably the two best shows that I've been to in terms of like keeping the focus on comics um, while still having a large, really engaged audience. Gotcha. And so I, I wanted to ask you, how did you get into I guess get
0: into comics, but more importantly, like how did you get to working with like all of Jonathan Hickman's work? I'm like
3: massively impressed by your coloring work but like still really curious uh it is an odd story um okay. well i uh, before, so before i started coloring in general i was trying to do work on my own comics mm-hmm. i started coloring my own art just as a way of learning how to do that uh, i did a few small professional gigs i ended up getting my first job with hickman through the bendis board
0: Oh, okay. Uh, On Jinx World? Yeah, yeah. He
3: had posted a, just like, literally like a help wanted, I need someone to do an issue. It was the fourth issue, the last issue of Red Mask for Mars. And they needed someone to come in and do color assists on it. So that apparently went well, and I ended up meeting Ryan Bodenheim, who was the artist of that. So, and then he liked me enough that he brought me in on Secret, which is the next book I worked on. Hell yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. That book is, like, <laughs> one of my favorites. And the color work,
0: seriously, man, some of my favorites in, in a very long time. Yeah. yeah.
3: Thank you. Yeah. It was a fun book to work on. Um, I actually, at the time, tried out on Manhattan Projects or having trouble finding a colorist. I didn't get that job. And then <laughs> several years later, I ended up doing the most recent arc of Manhattan Projects. Okay. Um, and now I'm doing a new image book with Nick Petarra and yeah. John Layman, which is going to be great, Leviathan. Yeah, oh. yeah. So, very excited about that stuff too. I mean,
0: you're on some pretty fantastic books. I think it's it's a proof that your work is is very very good. So, uh, you. you know, congrats on that. That's that's so awesome. I wanted to also ask you, you know, um, what's it like? I guess working as a penciler. What's it like working as a colorist? Like, how do you find your process
3: differs like for those types of work? Uh, well, I've never done any professional penciling I do personal stuff and commissions sure. so um, you know I really really like coloring uh, A it's it's sort of faster you have a framework to work off if you're not creating an entire world from scratch which is very difficult mm-hmm. I don't have to learn perspective which is very annoying <laughs> right. um, and I get to play it's just painting you know it's it really is and you have a different artist so you're approaching everything completely differently every time you work mm-hmm. and you have to there's so much to think about in terms of framing the story through uh, emotion and just storytelling in general that, you know, every, every page is a puzzle that you get to solve and it's very stressful, but also very fun.
0: That's awesome, man. Uh, I guess one last quick question for you. What is your go-to nighttime snack? (laughs) It's kind of weird, kind of weird.
3: I'm a beef jerky type of person. I uh, I stay up way too late eating very spicy beef jerky. (laughs) I I do like beef jerky, but I'm not proud of this fact, but cottage cheese would be the answer. With, with or without pineapple? No, no, no fruit. Okay. I like savory cottage cheese.
0: Okay, I'm right there with you. I got to ask because I know a lot of people out there love okay, their no. fruit. Oh, no, I'm those, not one of those, those people. people.
3: disgust me. <laughs> <laughs> I guess you're against uh, pineapple on pizza as well, right? I mean, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm neutral okay okay understandable very few neutral people when it comes to pineapple on pizza (laughs) i understand its appeal but it's not necessarily for me (laughs) right i get you well
0: thank you so much michael It's, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you we're gonna have this out you know pretty soon so we'll let you know hit you up on twitter and all that stuff where can people find you on the internet and what book should they be reading with your name on it
3: um, main things right now for my books are Black Monday Murders at Image, the Dying in the Dead at Image, if that ever comes back. And then, like I said, Leviathan, that's going to be with John Layman and Nick Batara that's launching in later in the summer. And then New Mutants with Matt Rosenberg and Adam Gorham comes out yes. in a couple of weeks. Yeah, I fist-pumped there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> We're We're pe- where can people find you? Oh, um, I'm at Twitter. It's uh, just at Michael Garland. And then Instagram and Facebook are Michael Garland Colors. So if you just just google me that's probably okay. the easiest <laughs> yeah. way just like michael garland comics it's usually yes. the easiest yeah, way yeah, yeah. okay awesome Although there is a children's book writer illustrator named michael garland so <laughs> it may be you know there's a little bit of confusion there but you'll find me cool cool well thank you so much i really appreciate the time man
0: no problem.
4: hey it's paul here uh sunday wrapping up the con emerald city con here on the artist alley floor with Farrell dalrymple um, How has the con been for you? Was it a successful Emerald City con?
5: Yeah, I like the show a lot. I've gone, uh, I've come here for, like for several years now and uh, really like the people and a lot of the other artists and stuff like that.
4: That's uh, something we've heard from everybody we talk to that this con feels a bit different. What do you think about it? it makes it stand out from other bigger cons like this?
5: Well, uh, I don't know. For me it's just, uh, close proximity to where I live. Um, and I've been Coming for a while, uh, so I've seen it grow a lot. It was like, it was kind of a different experience when I first started doing it. I wouldn't, I don't necessarily know what makes it different than other shows because every every show seems kind of different. You know, it's like its own thing. So um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I guess it's like I see a lot of the same faces a lot, and uh, it's kind of comforting to me. You know?
4: Yeah, definitely. We've noticed since being here, it's a very like welcoming, friendly atmosphere. The whole con. So yeah. So you've got some stuff here that you're selling. Obviously, you did the wrenchies. And you also worked on Profit for Image. Uh, You said your newest book is the second volume of Pop Gun War. Could you do like a quick elevator pitch of Pop Gun War?
5: Oh, yeah. It's um, the story of this girl, Emily. And uh, she's in a rock band and they break down in this small town. Their van breaks down. So she goes and follows these like creepy dudes underground into these like cavernous tunnels. And uh, sees these video monitors down there playing stories from her past, present, and her future. And each uh, story has, like, a different color scheme and features someone that she knows personally. And uh, there's also, like, an envelope enveloping story with her involving her and the tunnels and uh, just, like, about childhood and loss and loneliness and all that kind of stuff.
4: <laughs> it sounds great. Very interesting. I know, like, uh, the Wrenchies touch on a lot of those same issues.
5: Yeah, most of my work is deals with those themes. <laughs> and the setting changes a lot, but... Uh, It seems like, yeah, the story ideas, I'm I'm always drawing from the same well.
4: Uh, So, is there an influence that you uh, maybe could call to mind? Something that, as a comic reader, that inspired you to tell those kind of stories?
5: Yeah, um, I just did a panel and I mentioned this, but uh, the movie uh, 1979's Over the Edge was like a really big deal to me as a young person, and like, I rediscovered it later as an adult. And uh, uh, Robert Cormier's The Chocolate War, is like a young adult book that... uh, doesn't really fit like whatever modern interpretation of like a young adult story uh, formula is it uh made me think a lot about like growing up and sort of uh, you know ni- nihilism or existentialism and things like that yeah i would say like those are two of the biggest uh influences also uh mobius's airtight garage is like a, a real big deal to me
4: um is there any comics that you're reading right now that maybe uh stick out like to recommend
5: yeah, uh, Brandon Graham's Multiple Warheads just came out. It's a fantastic book. I just read uh, Frederick Peters is the artist, and I'm kind of blanking on the writer's name, but it's called The Smell of Starving Boys by a Self-Made Hero. It came out, uh, I think, at the end of last year. Uh, phenomenal book.
4: And then I think you've got a book coming out soon. Do you want to pitch that as well? A new project?
5: Uh, yeah, it's called Proxima Centauri, and it's like a psychedelic space opera. Basically, it's uh, you know kind of mixed in with like teenage angst, teenage drama. It uh, takes place on a uh, uh, like a space station, dimensional vortex thing that's like 4.5 million light years from Earth, and a uh, story of this teenager who's trying to get off of off of the space station and back to Earth to find his brother.
4: That sounds awesome. I'll look for it. Do you know? Why? Do you have a release date for that? Or thirteen. June 13th.
5: He's also uh, releasing a, a trade collection of my book, uh, It Will All Hurt, at the same time.
4: Awesome. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk to us. We really appreciate it. And we'll look out for those books soon. Thank you.
0: For this week's episode, we are talking about comics that were not originally in English, so translated books, and that goes for manga, Franco-Belgian comics, dessinées, all those types of comics out there that weren't originally in English and have been translated back over, and what we like, dislike, all that kind of stuff. We've, I think between the three of us, we've read a ton of different books, so let's just dive right into it. I mean, I was going to talk all about manga, but Kate, I am so impressed by your list of books that you have in our notes that I need you to just start with something because I need to hear about all of these in the time that we have allotted for this episode.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I definitely dusted off my library's collection. I was using this (laughs) interstate library loan system that I'm very thankful for. So I was getting Mm -hmm. books in from like across the state and universities.
0: It was great. So where did, where did all these books come from? Like, did you pull suggestions from people or did you just like say, give me all your translated books?
2: So on our Goodreads group, I had noticed a couple of people that don't live in the US mentioned comics from where they're from or around like near where they live. And i had oh, written right. those down a while back. So I looked those up. And then I also got recommendations from the other podcasters um, in our crew. So I've got a couple of books that were recommended to me by like Nick, for example.
0: Okay. Which one did you like the best out of the, the pile that you have?
2: I have to say Lulu Anu by ATN Devado. Uh It was French,
0: translated.
2: Right? <laughs> yeah. It was translated by Joe Johnson from French, which is why I don't know how to pronounce that name, even though I took French in high school. Uh, this is about it's about a housewife who can't manage to get back into the workforce after not um, being in the workforce for like 15 or 16 years. And she does it really poorly at a job interview and she would normally got on the train to go back home, but doesn't. And she just goes and does whatever she wants for a couple of weeks. And there, so she, you've got the timeline of what she's doing, what her her adventure is and -hmm. then the timeline of her friends trying to piece together what what she was up to and it ends in a way that i just could not have predicted she she meets a whole she meets a whole bunch of people she has a lot of both good and bad experiences and she just kind of reconnects with herself and the world
0: okay so is is this like a like a whimsical kind of adventure because to me it sounds kind of dark for some reason. But I mean, in the handful of French books that I have read, I've always found that whenever I expect the typical Americanized like dark twist in the story, it usually just ends up being like a like very careless but exciting adventure that of something, you know? And it never really ends bad. It just kind of ends in a way that you go, "Okay, like everything ended up being a slice of life in some way."
2: Yeah yeah slice of life is a really good way to describe this um Mm -hmm. i it's a little on the mystic or the the whimsical end i i don't i wouldn't call it very dark but it is very serious like this the the story is not serious but you understand that she just left her family (laughs) like
0: okay okay like
2: not in, not in a sense that she like, like divorced them and is never going to ever see them again or anything, but she just like didn't warn anybody what she was doing. So you've got her family, Um, you've got some scenes of her family going like, where's, where's mom? Why isn't mom oh no. home yet? <laughs> oh no. <laughs> so while well, her story is whimsical and mostly, mostly fun, like the people in her life don't know what she's up to or where she's at.
0: Gotcha. Wowzer! Well, I, and then I guess out of the, out of the books that you did read, like, was there any book that you kind of you didn't like as much? I guess compared to Lulu Anu.
2: So I actually started reading a book called Blueberry, and I didn't even put it in our notes because I haven't I haven't gotten even a quarter of the way into it. I was really, I was really looking forward to checking this out because. It's, I think it's a Belgium book, but it takes place in like the American Southwest. So it's all cowboys and everything. And I was looking forward to it because I want to know what other people feel about that, that part of America. But this book is very dense with dialogue. And then the way that people talk is kind of, it's written like it's accented in the, um, like the southwest so it's, it's got like the American dialogue accent. built
1: into the writing
2: yeah which on one hand i don't mind if it's i don't usually mind in comics but in this comic because the, the dialogue is so dense it's very hard to read so i'm trying to get through that one before it's due back to the library but i didn't like i said i didn't even write it write it down in the notes so i couldn't even tell you who it's by I'll, I'll oh try boy to look that's it up. okay that's okay Yeah, so that one was was hard to read. It's also I think it was also written in the 80s. And I don't know, I haven't read that much stuff from the 70s or 80s in the US. But I feel like the dialogue in older comics is also a little bit denser than it is now. So that might not be a difference between American and um, European comics. It could just be the, the generational difference in comics.
1: Yeah, that's okay. interesting because I definitely noticed that in Husk Volume One, that like every single panel pretty much was just laden with these speech bubbles, like like to the point of obscuring the rest of the work. And I, I chalked it up to just being a, a French comics thing, but I don't know when this was written, so it's possible that it is the same uh, the same phenomenon you're talking about what is what is husk that you read brian husk is a super cool concept with these it, it exists in a dystopian ish future where mm-hmm. there are these biomechanical bodies essentially that people can get into and pilot around so it, it centers around one of these pilots who basically the the husks kind of sensors interface directly with your brain And so she's so enamored with seeing the world through the husk's sensors that when she's out in the in the quote unquote real world, she's like super depressed and chasing a high that matches what it feels like to be in the husk. It's a super interesting concept. (laughs) It's yeah, it's a little dark. Um, she gets she takes a drug from a stranger at a bar and almost gets assaulted in that bar so oh boy okay yeah it's, it's dark as hell but it's also a super cool kind of if you're a human but you can get inside this thing and you know you see what it sees you feel what it feels it even has its own like primitive brainstem to help you control it like at what point are you not human or what does it mean to be human can you can you be a human after being in a husk
0: Wow. Well, okay. What well, this is? This is asking some very serious questions. Then.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like it's if you can handle that much dialogue, it is a really good book. It, it definitely like occupied my brain for a while after I finished reading it, and it just it just took me a while to get through because I kept getting distracted and having to go back and like reread the start of a dialogue bubble, and that's not. For me, that's not something that I like in comics. Um, okay. Not to say that it's bad, but it's certainly not what I'm after. Okay. Okay.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm thinking like a lot of the European books that I have read, I guess, were typically translated over from French. Like, one book in particular that I was reading was called um, District 14, and it's it's a it's a story that has a lot of dialogue as well. Like, the book is very heavily dialogue, but the the actual art itself is very intricate, like incredibly detailed little panel by panel shots. And like, nothing is like breaking the comics medium, but you can tell that every single shot and every single spot in the, in the page was very meticulously worked over. Um, but like that, sometimes, like you said, it is overshadowed by the amount of text on the page. And it's really funny to see that, you know, I think in, in France, from my understanding, like being a, a comic book creator, I guess a Bondesigné artist is what it would be called, it's like a respected position because you're telling a type of fiction in a way that others are not and it takes not only the you know the ability to write but also the ability to draw in some cases and it's it, it's a good serious job and books cost a little bit more but you're also getting a serious amount of work in that book. So to see it overshadowed by the number, like a huge amount of speech bubbles is kind of funny. I, I this District Fourteen book that I was talking about is it's it's a weird fictional world where there's humans and there's anthropomorphized uh, animals and um, like everybody it kind of feels like a weird twenties era thing and everybody lives in this infinite. Sized apartment complex that has n number of floors and elevators that go every which way direction, um, and there's a mystery afoot, um, and there's aliens, and but aliens are accepted, and every twist in the book was really bizarre because everyone's got a weird backstory, and they go into backstories at will, and the book was broken up in a really weird way because it's numbered in volumes on the digital side, because I like picked up volumes. Or I was borrowing on Comicsology Unlimited volumes one through twelve, but if you're reading the book and you notice page numbers every once in a while, you'll see that it's not actually supposed to be in individual volumes. It's supposed to be one big book. And so like volume eight, which is the last one that I read out of the twelve before we did this episode, had issue like I think the fourth or fifth page in the book was actually page number one fifty two. And so I was like, what the hell is, is happening? Um, and I, I think I had asked someone about this a while ago um, and that I uh, that I know who reads more like Franco-Belgian books. And they said that for digital, a lot of times what happens is things will get translated over, but they'll intentionally break it up into into pieces like that to try to make more money off of the American audience. But they don't do that in the physical. So if you went to go find this book District 14 at a library or like say Barnes and Noble or something or even Amazon you may find it all together collected for potentially the price of one or two of these volumes which I think is really really funny but like if you wouldn't didn't know about the book you may think hey I'm just buying the 12 volumes of this book yeah. that are actually one supposed to be one big tome. That's cheeky. Yeah, it's really funny, but, I mean, I realize I'm kind of getting away from, from like, the point here. I mean, this District 14, like, the 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 feel story, feel of the story was, like, there was a constant sense of urgency, but every time I felt like that urgency was coming to a climax, something in the story would level it out and go, no, 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 that's not really that big a deal. There's actually this other thing that you should be anxious about. Um, and so there was a lot of misdirection in the story, and, and the pacing was good. It's just, it was a lot to read and a lot of characters to track. Um, and reading it volume to volume thinking I could put it down was a total mistake because I hadn't read, I think I only read the first six volumes um, and then I waited six months because I started reading a while ago um, to try to like catch up and finish the volume and I was like, who is this and why are, there's aliens now, were aliens introduced in the previous volumes? So um, with this book in particular, it was like, I, sh- I should have just read it all in one go um, because it's interesting. It's just really a lot to
1: take in. Yeah, I do think it's valuable to look at kind of the the cultural context that the author is coming from though like if the if the profession is taken more seriously in the place where the artist is from than it is in america Mm -hmm. because like in my lesbian experience with loneliness the author talks about being a a manga artist and trying to get jobs working with manga companies Mm -hmm. and that's seems like something that an american would try to keep on the down low while trying to get jobs at other places like something that because you know we've we've got kind of a good program that comics are kid stuff and it's something to be embarrassed about but yeah in japan they just don't have that like it's manga is a medium like any other that can be enjoyed by any kind of person mm-hmm. and so i think it's it's really interesting to look at you know in your speak you're talking about how in the franco-belgian comics it's it's also a much more respected position
0: yeah you're you're treated like a like an artist you know you're treated mm-hmm. like someone who like a musician maybe in the same sense where you're creating a thing that people will take in and it's like a respected thing um, which is really interesting I mean and in in Japan I mean I know that the the whole thing is like you know being a mangaka you know someone that's creating manga you are a person of like there there is a lot running on it writing on it it's kind of like comics where like you it may be really really hard to break in but the potential of massive success is much higher there you know because there's so many people that are potentially taking in your book and you know you obviously want to target the bigger audience which is like the you know the young boys well actually it's not even young boys that's here in the United States it's like it you have to just pick your demographic go to target them and if you're writing a book that's interesting like you could be making a ton of money potentially by saying you know not only are you getting this made into an anime but you're also getting like these visual novels and all these other things that could go along that are all supplementary to bring you some income which is it's crazy it's really cool that like that's a viable serious um, job that you could have um, even though there is some instability when you're starting out.
1: Yeah, it definitely makes you wish that uh, we treated creators better in America. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The, I mean, in, well, that's a whole. We we've done that episode before. We've done that episode. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so so, Kate, what else did you read? I know, like Brian and I have a couple other things, but like you seriously have a big list. Like, go through the rest of these <laughs> books for us. Uh,
2: I just finished the world of Edina this mor this morning. It's by John Mobius Gerard. Gerard. Oh, is this, a, this is this
0: the this is the Mobius, right? Like the Mobius that people talk yes. about. I don't know if okay. Yes, okay. and
2: I and I did figure out the the book I mentioned earlier, um, Blueberry. Mobius mm-hmm. was a writer on Blueberry. Oh, okay. Um, this this story, the world of Edina is very different than Blueberry. <laughs> uh, this one is uh, takes place in space, and it's two two people on a spaceship that kind of get pulled down to this this planet. And it seems to be uninhabited. And they walk and they walk and they walk. And they finally found this town that's um, constructed around this otherworldly pyramid. And it, it talks about what happens to them after they encounter this pyramid. But this book is really interesting because the very first issue that was written was actually a promotional piece for a car manufacturer in France. So... Oh. <laughs> Sweet. <laughs> And I read the the introduction about this. This guy was supposed to write like four pages for this car manufacturer. <laughs> and he ends up with 40.
5: <laughs> so, okay. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I guess the, the guy who had hired him to do it was fine with that. So they went ahead and printed this as an exclusive full issue of a comic that was... Oh supposed was it, like, to be you, about
0: this car if i was gonna say if you buy the car do you get a copy of this book or something <laughs> like is that the, thing, the selling point
2: <laughs> yeah but so i was expecting i was expecting this to be about them like maybe driving a car around space but that's not it at all like it's it's just this sci-fi story that happens to include an earthen or a terran car, as they call it. And of the four, uh, approximately 40 pages of this issue, the car is in maybe three pages. <laughs> and the, the rest of the issue is very kind of uh, generic line work, I guess you mm-hmm. could say. It's not very detailed, except this car. <laughs> so,
0: interesting.
2: <laughs> so, in that way, I guess it probably succeeded with its promotional. Um, focus but that's just the one episode or the one issue Um, the rest of the book gets wild once they once they um, encounter this pyramid and figure out what why this pyramid is there in the first place they get transported someplace else and then the book turns into this like study of like naturalism versus technology because they have been um, they've had an imp- like implants for years. They've had um, synthetic food for years. They they live in this high technology suci- society normally and now they're on this planet where they have to eat apples for the first time in 4,000 years. <laughs> what? <laughs> um, so I actually okay. really, I really enjoyed that part of it because the characters mm-hmm. originally are uh, pretty like physically and and through like culturally are, are gender neutral and they start developing um a sense of of gender so it's got this um kind of unique focus that i guess wasn't talked about at that time when it was written okay i forgot to write down the year but this is i mean it's also a couple of decades old okay so it was revolutionary at the time but so i i really enjoyed the first few issues and then after that it gets crazy um it starts talking about like dreams versus reality there's a lizard bad guy
0: cool um,
2: i don't know it, get, it gets nuts i recommend the first issue and a half out of four or five <laughs> issues okay it's in this volume i mean
0: it's it's funny that you say that because like one of the other books that i did want to talk about that i had read that was like translated book from I want to say it's Humanoids or Delcor, which those are two publishers um, out of France. It's a book called Bramble. And I know I talked about it on the show um, on another episode, but Bramble was the whole story is a three volume story that was like um, all about the like technology and industrialism versus like the natural wonders of the world and how like the earth can take care of itself if you give it a chance to help you or you can you can be taken care of by the earth if you give it a chance to to help you but the problem is that humans want more faster and so they destroy the earth in order to better just themselves and it's all selfish and it's very very sounds very similar to this this thing you were talking about of like naturalism versus technology it's really interesting that two completely separate authors like came to that um and they're both French i believe so yeah i
2: had another one like that too um
0: i I, f- I feel like that's what a lot of french comics are about well this um, one's But oh, okay. European, yeah. European comics. Then, (laughs) what's what's the other book?
2: It's called AMA, and I actually want to track down the next. There's there's four volumes that at least have been translated. I don't know if there's more than that, Um, but it's by Frederick Peters, um, and it it was written in 2011 and translated by Edward Govin, and it's it's a sci-fi comic again. Um, it's got that naturalism versus technology message to it. And it's about this guy who's kind of a mess at first. He's mm-hmm. um, He drinks a lot. He's he's had his implants taken out. And I guess the implants basically make sure that you're healthy all of the time. You can breathe the air of whatever planet you're on. Um, it processes like your food for you, I think. What? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it does all sorts of things. Like the fact that he has implants taken out is a huge deal like, he's crazy, sort of. He's kind of treated like he's nuts. Okay. But his brother shows up, and he's like, you're going to come with me, off planet. Like, you just need to get away from here. You're, um, I'm going to take care of you. You're going to help me out. And they end up, um, sort of, a- again, with the kind of um, desolate planet. They're there to, to find this one colony, and once they find the colony, you know this colony has been abandoned for like five years or something by the company that put them there. So they're they're figuring out what these people had to do, to to survive. So it's also it's a it's also a little strange. Um, he makes a friend with like a an android that looks like a monkey, like an ape, <laughs> and then he he keeps saying I'm I'm not an ape. Stop calling me an ape. I'm a robot. <laughs>
0: okay. Sounds like Janet from the Good Place. I was just gonna say
2: that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and he, uh, he, he loses like most of his memories at one point, and that's kind of where the comic starts: is him waking up and going like, "How did I get here?" and then slowly remembering everything. So I want to track down the rest of them that are in English, at
0: least. This, this sounds wild, Kate. <laughs> okay, I mean, you've you've almost got me on board with this whole thing of like, somebody does something to go against society, and then they pay for it by like. By becoming an outcast for that, I like. I yeah. kind of like that idea.
1: Yeah, I mean, we don't really have a good, a good banishment anymore. I think it's time we uh, <laughs> we get back to exile. Yeah, start banishing space folks to space. exile. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, sign me up,
0: Brian. What else? What else have you been reading?
1: So, and I know that this for for you and Renee especially is exciting. Uh, My Hero Academia Volume One was uh, was pretty good. I like it. Yeah, it, it is. It's X Men but anime. <laughs> the uh the art was a little tough for me to get into at first. But I, I think that's just a, one of the differences between manga and Western comics is just that the the mangaka are a lot more free to exaggerate on like facial expressions or to draw characters who have more extreme designs. Whereas you know, in, in Western <laughs> sorry, comics. Are you, talking
0: about, are you talking about All Might because like <laughs> that's one thing (laughs) i'm talking about yes
1: yeah because he's either a big buff constantly horrifyingly smiling man or he's uh, a stripped down skeleton monster who is throwing up blood all the time and i'm hard pressed to decide which one upsets me more uh i think i'm (laughs) leaning towards the skinny one Mm -hmm. because i can't relate to skinny people but that's my (laughs) that's my own baggage sure uh, but I, I do think it's it's a super interesting story. You know, the, I like that we can kind of see the Japanese priority of like getting into a school because we we don't have that like that idea of competition for high school slots in America. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I I'm I'm. I think in like urban areas, there's there is some competition about getting into the right high school to set you on the track to get into the right college. But oh, I don't true. think it's as prevalent. I don't think it's as prevalent here as it is probably in Japan.
1: Yeah, I mean it, it's certainly something that you know coming from the suburbs, there were two high schools in my entire school district. No, well, three. There were three. But which one you went to is entirely geographically decided. Right. And maybe if right. I had like been in private school, maybe there would have been more of that. But even then, you know, there were, like, six different Christian private schools in the area, and they all seemed pretty interchangeable from the outside.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: But in this, you know, getting into this hero university is, like, the most important thing in these kids' lives, pretty much. It's, if if they don't get into this school, then they're basically on the track to being a a B B-tier hero for the rest of their life. <laughs> right
0: or or not even a hero in the case of like deku's mom you know or deku daku i don't i don't know how to say his name i watched the anime and everything and i still don't know how to say his name yeah i I mean my hero academia is one of the coolest mangas that i've read in a very long time um or that i've tried in a very long time because it's it like immediately sucked me in because like i said the x-men thing but on top of that i love the the play off of, like, All Might is a character I think is supposed to be a play on, like, old superheroes, like old heroes of old manga where, like, everything about them was, like, big and bold and in your face. And to me, like, when I saw that first shot of All Might as, as these big, huge, monstrous strokes around every aspect of his character, even when he's in the real world, mm-hmm. he still has these really thick lines around him. I always thought or saw that as, like, satire against old superhero type characters like for some reason i think of astro boy like in all the big thick lines around that character and so maybe that's that's kind of what he is i, I don't know I, i've never read anything about that but that was my takeaway at least
1: i, I think you're definitely onto something because there is a line in this first volume where he he walks into the classroom where he's going to be teaching for the first time mm-hmm. and one of the characters remarks like he's not even drawn like us or something like that oh yeah <laughs> like at least <laughs> yeah. in the the Comicsology edition that i bought yeah, yeah. I mean, and manga, has got its that whole thing
0: going for it. Like they they do a f- good job of mixing in meta and that exaggeration and extreme exaggeration in some t- you know some cases. You know, the bloody nose or the the frustration like mark on someone's head, and you kind of see that in American comics, but it's it's shown a little bit differently. You know, the the squiggle above someone's head, you know, yeah. or like
1: frustration lines on their face, or like very implied eyebrows. The entire shape of a person's face might change, like not just like their expression, but their skull will be in a different shape because they're feeling <laughs> this different emotion. <laughs> like
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's and that's really interesting. I think about like manga in general is that a lot of times you'll you'll see like chibi moments where like you just see like little like simplified mm-hmm. versions of these characters with giant heads and little bodies to emphasize like a an intimate moment or and ent- uh, to emphasize a comedic moment um, depending on the book, which I think is really funny. Um, Plus, there's that whole, like, between chapters in the collected volumes of mangas, or manga in general where they'll have little, like, mini cartoons or they'll have little, you know, like, in My Hero Academia in specific, little character breakdowns at the yeah. end of each chapter, which I fucking love. Like, this character really likes udon noodles. It's like, okay,
1: uh-huh. now I know that about them. Does he like their birthday and their height in centimeters and stuff like that?
0: really enjoys walks around
1: the living room like
0: oh okay i guess that's something somebody enjoys and yeah i mean (laughs) i I could i could say we could do a whole episode just about like the fun parts of manga that i wish western comics would embrace but there's no way in hell it would ever work here um you see that i think sometimes in like Um, webtoons, which is something that I I didn't know if I wanted to bring up for this episode, but like webtoons, um, which are typically translated Korean comic books, um, or at least they were up until very recently where they line webtoon and a couple of other companies have broken in in the United States and they've been hiring, you know, Western creators to create comics in this vertical scrolling format, um, which maybe I should take a step back and explain webtoons for people that don't know. Um, Webtoons are like a digital only type of comic that is... Completely built around the idea of you scrolling vertically. Um, it started originally on desktop machines, but once um, mobile devices that have large screens on them started to work, it was like a natural fit for the medium. And it's incredibly popular in like China and uh, Korea, and it's starting to grow a lot more in Japan and Indonesia, um, basically in the, in, the a- in Asia. It's exploding, and they started to um, the companies that are making it big over there, such as Line Webtoon, as well as. I think Tapas and there's two other companies that are pretty big. They started to break into the United States. And so they've been bringing over a lot of their popular books with translators as well as hiring like webtoon creators to or excuse me webcomic creators to publish their books so like Sarah Scribbles for instance I think is a pretty popular webcomic she publishes her book not only on Instagram and on the web but she also publishes it on web or on webtoon and so you'll see a lot of different books like you'll see a lot of webcomics from the United States already getting published there because their whole publishing and payment system is totally built around page views and how many times people have finished your book and so on and so forth and you get elevated based on the number of people that are reading your book so it's important to share and yada 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 but you'll the thing about a lot of those really popular books is you'll see that they were really popular in japan or korea or china or indonesia and people on the internet who are huge like super nerds you know they'll find fan translated versions of those comics and they'll love the living shit out of them and then when the official translations come over they devour the book again Um, and it works really well for the creator Um, but the translations can vary and can be of differing value or differing like level depending on um the individual webcomic and the translator for that like one of the books that i read right now is called dice it's basically like what if you could do tasks that gave you these dice and you could increase your own personal stats it's a totally ridiculous concept and i love it um and the translation they've had a multiple translators over the publication of this book and it's it's been good it's been really bad it's been okay and right now it's kind of in the middle but um the the translation is is very interesting the how and like the cultural things they try to adapt which is something I wanted to bring up about manga as well like how things are translated to fit the colloquialisms of the local or locale that you're translating for is really interesting because sometimes it just doesn't work and they're like this is a thing in Japanese culture you just have to deal with it it's weird to you it's not weird to them you yeah
1: know? or you can do like they did in the uh, the Pokemon anime back in the day and just blatantly replace stuff and then make it not make sense. <laughs> yeah yeah that's, like replace rice balls with like a sandwich or something like that <laughs> yeah
2: there's also a moment in lulu New where the daughter is in a in an english class and i didn't realize for a page or two that they meant that she's studying a foreign language to her so she's she's <laughs> saying these phrases in english and I'm not understanding like why she's why she's saying them so weird because it wasn't it was probably in English or in the original um, comic and they didn't mm-hmm. change it when it was translated so there was it was lost in translation I guess.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> so Kate, you have something on your list um, called Code Thirteen. Um, Nick, who's on the show, he's been screaming and yelling about this book to me. For the longest time, he's wanted to read it. Um, did you actually make it through a couple volumes of this?
2: I made it through one. Um, okay. I think I okay. managed. I think I managed to find two of them through my my state's my state library system. It's called Melcat, and they came from um, uh, Muskegon.
0: <laughs> okay.
2: So he okay. could either drive to Muskegon, I guess, or he could just request them after I do. I well, you know Nick's in. whole
0: thing with his library. You yeah, know, he can't go into the libraries anymore. Uh, no. no, yeah. No, but we've what get what that is fixed. this? <laughs> yeah, what is this book about? Actually, because I've seen the covers, like I know that it's it is a relevant book. Like people want to read it, and I've seen some positive things about it. But I know nothing about the book, and the covers are are absolutely beautiful.
2: Yeah. Well, there's a whole series of movies in the U.S. that that are really similar to this, but I haven't seen any, any of those movies. I think it's the Born series. Is that the one where the guy Wait, like, wakes up like and Jason doesn't? Jason Bourne. Yeah, isn't that the one where the guy wakes up and he doesn't remember anything, and he was like involved as a spy Well, yeah, but or those something? are. I think
0: the Bourne tr- or Bourne series, is based on John Grisham novels.
2: Yeah, I'm just saying it's it's similar to that. Like it starts. Oh, it's similar. Okay, um, okay. I mean, I haven't again. I haven't seen the movies, but I know that there was there's something um, in the U.S. Yeah, you're right. You're right. That's very similar. Yeah. So this mm-hmm. guy, this guy wakes up on a beach and he's taken in by this this adorable elderly couple and their their nurse friend. Um, and it, he doesn't remember anything about himself. He's got the tattoo of of X I I I or thirteen on his chest, but he doesn't know why. Mm-hmm. So um, it. Turns out that there's a bunch of people that are after him. Um, there's like three distinct groups that are after him for different reasons. And he still doesn't remember anything about himself. And he keeps finding clues like there's a key. He's got um, a number to a safe somewhere. And it's just the first issue, which is actually really long for an issue. It's about 50 pages or for an American issue, at least. Yeah. So it's it's him running for his life basically and trying to make sure that these people who who took care of him when he woke up are like okay he goes back to check on them and i'm i'm looking forward to the next one
0: okay yeah i mean i i've seen like i said i've seen this a million times online so maybe maybe i'll try this one if it's on sale or if it goes into comiXology unlimited or something or or maybe i'll just buy it at full price like a regular human being or you could um, find
2: it at your in your library probably
0: I probably, I mean, I do, I do live in you know a big old city that probably has this book. <laughs> no, I yeah. don't think
1: New York has any libraries, do they?
0: Uh, just they have the one, but it's haunted. If you remember the documentary Ghostbusters, because
1: um. <laughs> <laughs> like, I was under the impression that it had all been uh, flooded and then frozen the day after tomorrow.
0: Oh. oh. Yeah, that was the that were the ones um, on the lower side of Manhattan. I'm talking like central Manhattan, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I think there's a problem with every single library in New York. Um, <laughs> it's just all a matter of which... They've all fucked up by some movie. <laughs> yeah. yeah, some movie has ruined a library in New York, and it's up to you to decide which horror you'd like to face in order to rent a book. Um, <laughs> I'm sure this is completely true, and the New York public library system loves that I'm saying this. Mm-hmm. Uh <laughs> So yeah, what else did you guys I mean, from I mean we could continue to talk about books that we've read, but um what what did you take away from all of the various translated books? Was there something like a common theme or um did we cover it already? I mean, rather than just explaining books over and over, was like uh, from the meta level, what do you guys think about translated books? I
2: felt like The books that I read were were fairly structured. Like I feel like American comics have started to do this thing where sometimes there's an object or a character that's kind of broken out of their panel and they're maybe uh, overlapping the panel next to it a bit or they're using the background uh, of the lower half of the page as as a panel without borders. And I've I've been really enjoying that in American comics lately and I didn't see any of that um, in any of these translated comics that I've talked about.
0: Like, they're really rigid and, like, they're purposefully con- containing themselves within panels, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, like, okay. the
2: page layout could be weird. Um, like, there could be strange shapes or, um, like, a weird amount <laughs> of panels. Like, they would be stacked in a different way. But mm-hmm. they're, they're either full page or it's all contained within panels with no interaction with the background.
0: Interesting. What about you, Brian? Did you find anything that you thought was like particularly interested, interesting about these translated books that you read?
1: Yeah, just that I I wish that Western comics had the uh, the freedom that uh, manga have to explore different genres to you know to take a chance to do something that you know to to a Western audience would seem weird, but that you know might play really well. You know, it's Mm -hmm. i I think that western audiences are a lot more constrained by the idea of this is what a comic should be and so we're not taking chances and we're not getting cool stuff that we might otherwise be seeing
0: right are you talking just in like a mainstream sense or in yeah like yeah okay
1: yeah yeah I, i i wish that i wish that comics were more a part of our culture the way manga is a part of the culture in japan
0: right well, we can fix that. That's our job as uh, on this podcast is to fix comics and fix the culture around it. Um, <laughs> you know, it, and we can do it. All 10 of us, we can do it. Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: <laughs> yeah, I noticed something similar with the comics that I read. I didn't read any manga for this, but it seemed like there was a lot more focus on the journey and the exploration of the world or of the characters than there seems to be um, in in big two books, at least, superhero books um, yeah. in, in, in the U.S. It seems like a lot of the American books are more focused on action and resolution and conflict than they are about the exploration of what's already there.
0: That's interesting. Like, so you're saying, like, and I, I think I, I agree with you in this because you, um, I, in the books that I've read that were um, not manga, but they were from Europe, they, they spend time kind of meandering in the storyline. In order to show off something cool, rather than and it maybe not even be related to the plot. But it's just like, hey, look at this cool thing. That's sort of related because it's all in the same world before we get to the actual next plot point in the story. Um, I, I think I get what you're saying is that is that kind of what you're getting at?
2: Yeah, yeah. And I mean, in some, in one or two cases, I got kind of annoyed with it because it wasn't going anywhere. Um, okay, But for the most part, Lulu knew um, the beginning of the world of Adina. I, I did appreciate that because you're exploring this creator's um, imagined world and imagined characters more than I think that we do in general in American comics.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. I guess I, I don't think I would have actually noticed that until you pointed it out because... I just assumed that the storylines in European books were just a little bit slower, so they took the time to do that to say, like, I'm in no rush to get to the plot, I'm, I'm, or I'm yeah. in no rush to even get to the end of this book. I just want to explore and have some fun. Um, I didn't. I guess I didn't really put that all together until just now. That's really cool. I mean, like my big thing with with manga is that like there's there's niche like niche manga to the point of you know, you can spend your time reading 70 volumes of a book that's literally just about cooking, and it's always about cooking, and it's always going to be about cooking, and there's nothing more to this book than just cooking, and maybe a, a very weak plot to try to tie it all together, but some mangaka out there wanted to just... Write a book about cooking cool dishes. And so they did, and they string it together by like saying, well, we've got to drive the plot a little bit. We had a little romance here. We had a little, you know, arch rivalry here. Um, but otherwise, it's just about making cool food and drawing really cool food. What I'm getting at is I don't think we see that as often here. Like, there are books, like for instance, that book Fence that I recommend to everybody and anyone. Fence is such a cool book because it's just about fencing. But at the same time there's some drama in there and I've I've talked it I think in a lot of like a lot of episodes about how I really enjoy books that tell an interesting story but also teach me something along the way and I've always found that manga does that way better than any western book that I've ever read. You know, reading the book Bakuman is one of my it's one of my favorites at this point because of it's so stupid like the story of it is so stupid but it gets right down to the nitty-gritty of creating manga. It's a manga about creating manga by people who are creating manga and it's it's such a like stupid meta idea but like it's a perfect example of Telling a, a semi-interesting story, but tying it all together with this educational piece to just give people an insight about like, hey, you may never create manga, but by enjoying this, you at least understand the process. Um, and there's another book that I read, Drops of God, that I've probably talked about a couple times too. It teaches you all about wine and where wine comes from, how it's made, how if you have a winery that's on the north end of the Rhine River in France versus the south end, um, you can have different grapes and you end up with different flavor, and it's this really cool book, and it it's got a weak storyline. Like it's it's so bad. The storyline is so boring. Too, Mike. But I love that book to death because it's it taught me something cool about wine of all things. So I mean I I enjoy that stuff.
2: I learned how to pour
0: wine based on that book. Yeah yeah exactly. So yeah I guess like you know um the, we could probably sit here and talk. I know Kate you had a couple more books. I'll put it all in the show notes just so that people have it. But I guess for now let's let's wrap up here and let's. You know, thank you guys for reading all these crazy books. I I realize it's probably out of your wheelhouse a little bit, but I hope you enjoyed them and maybe you found a book that you're gonna keep trying. I know I certainly did. I'm gonna be reading that again
1: book like it's my job because whew, it's a solid story. Yeah, I mean it gave me an excuse to like justify buying manga to myself. Which (laughs) like finally overcoming that shame from fifteen years of being told I shouldn't be reading manga. Right. Yeah. Right.
2: No, this is great. I, I enjoyed having a, a research project, it felt like, mm-hmm. but I haven't done anything like this since college where I really like delved into one kind of theme for something like this, so I really enjoyed
0: researching for this episode. Cool. Well, we'll have to do more then. I, that sounds like a great reason to do more. Um, part two. Yeah, part...
1: <laughs> we'll just talk about... Yeah, yeah. Part we'll, two, we'll but it's it just Kate talking about the rest of the stuff she hasn't gotten to <laughs> yeah. yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, well cool I guess like we could wrap up the show here um, you can find us all on the internet you can find us on Twitter Kate is at Kate L Fear Brian is at Brian Head on Twitter I am at Mike Rappin on Twitter you can follow the show at IRCB podcast I post a lot of stuff on there and try to retweet stuff for exposure and we post polls every Friday this week's poll was terrible because I'm really bad at puns what kind of food would taste the best was the question and I took comic book creators and other things and tried to make them into food puns and it was terrible so if you have better food puns let me know (laughs) send them to the show and i'll make another poll with the better answers so uh
2: you can check out our goodreads group we've got weekly threads this week's thread is rank the x-men from best to cyclops
0: (laughs) yeah it's to promote next week's episode where we're gonna rank the x-men based on people's responses
2: great that sounds like a fun time uh you can find our website at ircbpodcast.com
1: Please, if you have a chance, take a minute to rate and subscribe us. You have no idea how much that actually does help us get noticed. It's true. Uh, You can also email us if you have any questions at at ircb at destroythesive.org. We do have another Q&A episode coming up, so make sure you hop on that.
0: Yeah, I think that's in May, so we've got some time, but send your questions over to us. We, We want them, and I love... That was, like, such a fun episode. Infinity Shred does all the music for this show. They're the best band in the universe. Xander, super cool guy. Really fun to hang out with. He has the best puns. I don't know why I didn't ask him for puns. He's the pun master as far as I'm concerned. Thank you to everyone for listening. Thank you to all of our subscribers. Thank you to all of our Kickstarter backers. You got us to Emerald City Comic Con and we did so much cool stuff. Before we wrap up here, there will be an extra special... Bonus episode that's coming out today. It's an interview with Caleb Goldner and Buster Moody. Caleb works on a book called Task Force Rad Squad with Buster. He's also worked on Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Ghost FM, Mermaid Evolution, Murpugs Birch Squatch, Ice Cream Warriors. These are all wild and crazy comic books. Buster's worked on Godzilla in Hell, Screamland, Task Force Rad Squad with Caleb, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles amazing adventures. So if you're into that kind of stuff, check out the bonus episode that's going to be released today alongside this episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much. We will check you next time. I just kept breathing in and not breathing out. (laughs) So my whole body was just filled with air there for a second. Um, Okay. (laughs) Let's let's take a break.
1: Oh, my gosh. Sorry, I'm dying. Finally. Now it's my podcast.